Ooh, all right, good morning. Don't you guys love singing that song together? What a wonderful name it is. I love even hearing our, our children in the back singing and lifting up the name of Jesus and saying there's no name, there's no name like Jesus. No name like Jesus. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, hope you're doing well. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning, isn't it? Love being with you guys, love being with my church family. There's nothing like it really. Um, I hope you feel the same this morning. If you will, turn with me to John 6. guys feel the urge to sing to the worship music and do so good background music we sing that song too don't we John chapter 6 and uh, we've been studying through John chapter 6 through for for several weeks now Um, this is one of the longer chapters in in the New Testament and it's just so packed full of truth this morning I was telling Forrest this morning I probably could have made you know, John chapter 6 into like 20 sermons, but if we really want to dive in deep to some of these issues, but uh, I, I won't do that, so it's already been long enough. Hopefully we will finish it today. Um, but, you know, John starts this chapter with the feeding of the 5,000, if you'll remember, back several weeks ago, and with Christ walking on the water. And uh, so that's, that's how, how he opens this chapter. And then the last 50 verses or, or so, or roughly 50 verses, um, is Jesus interacting with this, this same crowd that he had fed miraculously just the day before. And here we find the first of seven I am statements of, of Jesus uh, found in, in the book of John. Jesus says in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, again, these I am statements of Jesus remind us of what God the Father said to Moses as he was calling him to lead his people out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. Uh, God the Father said to Moses, he said, you tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. And so it's God's name for himself. We went into that a little little deeper last time. But So each time we see uh, an I am statement from Jesus, we can be sure that he is claiming to be equal with God, claiming to be equal with God. Something that the Jewish religious leaders, uh, they, they understood, and it, it really ticked them off. Right? It really made them mad, offended them uh, so much that eventually they, they wanted him dead and, and succeeded in that. And so each of these I am statements is going to give us more insight into the deity of Christ. And we started last time looking at uh, this statement, I am the bread of life. And we look basically at verses uh, 32 through 40 last time. From those verses we said, first of all, that this bread of life is superior. Superior, as opposed to the physical bread. Remember, this, this crowd just wanted physical bread from Jesus. They wanted another meal. They were hungry again. As opposed to that physical bread that the crowd was searching for, um, it is superior to that bread. They're, they're following Him because they're hungry and they're looking for the next meal. They're not following Jesus 
for His words of life, where they're not following Jesus for His salvation. But Jesus says He is so superior than the bread that they're looking for in that He's satisfying. He sustains us. He gives us not only physical strength, like a a meal does, but He gives us eternal life. And then secondly, we said that this bread is secure. This was last week. Uh, This bread, Jesus, who is the bread of life, will never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that comforting this morning as Christians? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he, He says several times in this passage that He will raise us up at the last day. When we truly come to Christ, we are secured for eternity and nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever, ever, ever change that. So now today we're, we're going to attempt to finish the chapter and uh, look at verses 41 through 71. I hate reading huge chunks like this, really, um, at a time. In fact, you know, maybe we'll just do it a little differently this time. Maybe we'll just read it section by section. Um, so let's start with 41 through 51. And I won't make you stand this morning, but before, before we do that, let, let's, let's open in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word, um, your words of life, Lord. And, and I, just, I just pray that today you would remove all distractions and that you would speak through me to your people. Please, um, Lord, please remove anything that's hindering us this morning, Father. Any, any distractions, any sin, any, anything, Lord, that is um, stopping us from, from just uh, consuming your word this morning, hearing from your word, and doing your word, Lord. And, God, you just be glorified in this church service this morning. Um, We love you, Lord, and we we thank you for this bread of life that we're going to learn about. Help us as we do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's let's read verses 41 through, through 51. It says in 41, The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Amen. So lots, lots of stuff to cover in this chapter. Um, and so, what, so far we've seen that the bread of life is superior and we've seen that it's secure. And now in these verses, I want us to see also that the bread of life is selective. And before you think you know what that means, just hear me out here. Um, the bread of life is selective. I think that's what we find in verses 41 uh, through 51. Now Jesus has just said, in the previous verses, that He is the bread which came down from heaven. Okay, that's what He just said right before we picked up reading. Now that's a big statement by Jesus, right? 
He is saying, I am from heaven. I mean, you think of someone coming in this room today and say, I'm actually from heaven, guys. That would, that would be weird for us, right? That would, be, that would be a problem for us. That would be a problem. You can't just come down and say, I am from heaven. So we can kind of see where the Pharisees or where the Jews are coming from um, when Jesus says he is sent from heaven. Uh, this is something that we officially just celebrated at Christmas, the incarnation of Christ. Jesus, who is God, left heaven, left all His glory and honor and worship, and He came to be born as a baby in a manger. Holy God taking on flesh. 100% God, 100% man. But for the Jews listening, um, and, and these, these are probably here the Jewish religious leaders in the crowd, because usually they're referred to as the Jews in, in the book of John especially. Um, but for these leaders, this was a shocking statement for a man to claim to be from heaven. And so verses 41 42 say that they complained about what he's saying. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying, we know this guy. He, isn't, isn't, this, isn't that Mary and Joseph's boy? Like, like we, we know this guy. We saw him grow up. Um, how can he say he's from heaven? Now, obviously, they had uh, either missed or, or just not believed in the virgin birth, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know how widely uh, spread that was at this point, but, but obviously they either missed it or they just refused to believe in his virgin birth. Um, and, and Jesus answers them with a sharp rebuke. He says in verse 43, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him, him that comes, that is, up on the last day. And this is where I think we, we get into the selectivity of this bread of life. Not all people will come to Christ. Not all people will come to Christ. We see that very clearly, obviously. And I think Jesus is implying here that these religious leaders would not truly come to Him. Now, when I say this bread is selective, I, I want to be very careful. Um, this bread, the bread of life, salvation through Jesus, is not selective in that it's not available to all people. I believe the Bible clearly teaches that God's salvation through Jesus is available to every single individual on the planet without exception. I want us to consider a few verses here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and we'll try to flash these on the screen here. 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 4, it says, it's, it's talking about God, and it says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all men to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all people to come to to repentance. God does not desire for anyone to be separated from Him for eternity. He desires that all would come to repentance. Ezekiel 18, verse 23. It says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord. And not that He should turn from His ways and live. God says, I don't take pleasure in the death of wicked people. I don't want people to be separated from me. No, I want them to repent. I want them to turn from their evil ways and I would save them if they would. 
Last one, Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus is looking over Jerusalem, right? He's about to go into Jerusalem. He's looking over the city. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. These verses... And many, many more make it evident, I believe, that God has made provision for all people to come to Him. There is none who is out of His reach and to whom His grace is not available. Even here in John 6, in in verses 33 and in verse 51, Jesus says that this bread Himself, His body, He says it's given to give life to the world with, with no exceptions. He has made life available to the whole world without exception. So God wants all people to be saved. Now, the Bible is also pretty clear that although salvation is available to all, God has selected a people whom He gives to the Son for salvation. In verse 37, Jesus talks about how all that the Father gives to Him will come. And that more specifically, I think, is talking about those Jews he's talking to. In the Greek, it actually says, All that the Father is giving to me at this moment will come to me. But we shouldn't assume that that God is just arbitrarily who's deciding who goes to the Son and who doesn't. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what this says. It doesn't say that God arbitrarily decides before the foundation of the world, these people will go to the Son, these people won't. We shouldn't assume it's arbitrary. In fact, Jesus explains, I think, in verse, verses 44 through 51, who it is who is given to the Son. He gives the conditions for being given to the Son, for being part of that elect people that are given to the Son by the Father. He gives the conditions for that. He starts in verse 44 by saying that no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. Now, Another word for draw here in the Greek, uh, this could be translated enable. Um, it could, um, I like draw, but, but enable, it could be, it could be uh, translated enable as well. So this could read that no one can come to the Son unless the Father enables him to come to the Son. Now, let's think about the Jews that he's talking to. Remember, they are under a system that has grown very callous to faith in God. And has this belief that, that they can be justified in themselves. If they'll, if they'll just be good enough. You know, that's what most Americans believe too, right? Just be good. If you're good enough, you can go to heaven. Well, the Jews believe this. If I could just keep the law of God good enough, I can be justified in myself, in my good behavior. This was so ingrained in the Jews, this salvation by works philosophy, that nearly every New Testament epistle... Um, has to address this by reminding the churches, and especially those churches that were primarily Jewish Christian churches, he has to remind them that it is by grace alone that you've been saved. It's not by something that you earn. It's totally by God's grace. You cannot earn this. Because it was so ingrained in their minds. He's talking to these men who, who think that they are justified in themselves. If I'm good enough, I can be justified. And he says... You can't come to the Son unless the Father lets you come to the Son. 
You can't come to the Son unless the Father enables you to come to the Son. You have no ability on your own to come to Christ and receive salvation. Salvation is an absolute gift from God that we do not deserve. Had God not sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, not one person could come and receive salvation. That had to happen. Jesus was His elect one who He sent to pay for the sins of the world. God, because He is perfectly just, must punish sin. He must punish sin or He goes against His character and God can't go against His character. He's perfectly loving. He's also perfectly just, so sin must be punished. He cannot just forgive with no justice, with no payment for sin. There must be a payment for sin. And it's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus who lived a perfect life because He is 100% God, yet 100% man. Only Jesus could have paid this debt for us. No man could come to the Father if not for Him. But He is selective in who can come. We must come His way. You can't come your own way to God today. The Jews could not come their own way. They wanted to come by justifying themselves. They kind of liked that idea. I feel like I'm doing something. I'm earning it. You cannot come that way. It is selective in that you must come the way Jesus says you must come. And He tells the Jews in the next verse, verse 45, who can come. He says that everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Um, now the next verse after that is, is a very clear statement again of his deity. He says that no one has seen the Father except for him, right? The one that's come from the Father. What a statement that is about his deity. But it is they who have le- heard and learned from the Father who the Father allows to come to Jesus, who the Father enables to come to Jesus. If you haven't heard and learned from the Father, you're not going to accept the Son. That's what he's telling these Jewish people. And this is a common thread throughout Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders. He tells them, you don't accept me because you haven't really believed in the Father. You've missed the point of what the Father has given to you. So we saw this in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, where Jesus rebukes the leaders uh, there, and He says in John five forty four that they could not believe because they cared more about honor from each other than they cared about honor from God. You see, they had this appearance of following God the Father, but actually they did not follow God the Father at all. They had lost faith in God in their pursuit of earning favor from God. And we're going to see it again in chapter 8, where Jesus will say to them in verse 42 of that chapter, He says, If God were your Father, you would love Me. The clear implication from Jesus' interactions with, with these religious leaders, that they cannot come to Him, the Son, to believe, because they've never truly come to the Father to believe. And so the, the Father will not allow them to come to the Son. It's available, but they haven't truly come to the Father. The individuals who may come to the bread of life, 
so as to have life are those who have listened and learned from the Father. Jesus goes on in John 6 here to to talk in verse 51 about His flesh, which He will give for the life of the world. This is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See, before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it was those who listened and learned from the Father, whom the Father enables to come to the Son. After Jesus gave His life for the life of the world on the cross, it is by receiving this gospel that one is enabled to come to the Son. So this bread of life is selective in that it is only available, this is important, it's only available to those who will humble themselves before God and receive the gospel of truth. The gospel is not for the proud. In fact, you cannot come to God if you're going to be proud about it. You cannot come to God boasting about how good you are. The gospel is only available in a saving way to those who will humble themselves. There are conditions to the gospel. If you will not humble yourself, you will not be saved. These men, the the religious leaders, would not humble themselves. And so they they could not have eyes to see. They could not have ears to hear. You must humble yourselves. It's only those who will partake of this bread of life. All may come, but they must come His way. Now, salvation is 100% a gift from God. Amen? We cannot earn it. We, we've done nothing to earn it. We've done only stuff to, to earn death, right? The wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not earned salvation. We've earned death. Salvation is 100% a gift from God. He chose to send Jesus to save us, even though we were completely lost in sin, completely rebellious. There's nothing we have to contribute to this process. God has sent this bread down from heaven and broken this bread for us as a payment for our sin. The Bible says it pleased Him to bruise His Son. Because he knew that this was the only way to pay for our sin, to reconcile us to himself. He has provided the remedy. And he draws us by the preaching of the gospel, by providing his living word to teach us, which you have in front of you, hopefully, and by convicting us by his Holy Spirit. We're drawn by his Holy Spirit to him. But it is only they who will humble themselves who may come, so that God will save. Completely God's grace that we must receive as a free gift. But as we'll see in the next point, not all will come and receive this gift because the bread of life is also separating. It's separating. It's divisive. That might be another way to say it. And let's let's read verses fifty-two through through sixty-six here. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, 
and my body is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, or sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers who ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. In this section, Jesus, uh, Jesus begins to use some really strange language, right? I mean, this, we can all read this and think, wow, this is a strange way of putting it, Jesus. Right? Eating my flesh, you must drink my blood, this kind of language to talk about himself as the bread of life. Um, it's, it's kind of weird for us to hear, right? It was weird for them to hear. Um, he says his flesh is food indeed, and his blood is drink Indeed. And this is the section where the true believers, the true followers, are are separated from the false. The false disciples cannot handle this this kind of language. Um, In in verse 60, it says that, that, that many of his disciples, when they heard this, when they heard Jesus talking like this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And as we'll see later, these disciples ultimately decided to reject him in verse 66. Now, if we look at what he's saying in context, Jesus has already very, very clearly explained what he means by this language. Let's compare verse 54 with verse 40. Okay, let's look at verse 40 first. Jesus in verse 40 says that everyone who believes in him may have everlasting life and he will raise him up at the last day. Verse 54 says it this way, Whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life and he will raise him up at the last day. Same thing, right? It's very clear that eating and drinking is a metaphor for believing in Jesus. And in fact, it just gives us more detail, I think. Jesus has just said in verse 51 that he's going to give his flesh for the world. And now he's saying we must eat his flesh in order to have life. In other words, we must partake of Him. This faith, this believing, it must become part of us. We we can't just have this head knowledge of what Jesus did on the cross. You can believe that Jesus did what He did on the cross and still not be saved. This belief must be a belief that transforms us that sustains us, that becomes a part of our very being. We must partake of this bread of life. 
Now, Jesus even says in verse 63, He says that He's speaking spiritually, not, not about physically eating His body. He's speaking spiritually. But I think the truth is that most of these followers, they, they didn't really want to believe. They didn't really want to believe. They had already figured out that Jesus wasn't just a genie who was going to give them what they wanted. What did they want? They wanted a meal. And they had already figured out that they're going to have to go to the store. Jesus isn't going to give them this meal. They say in verse 60 that His saying is hard to understand. But Jesus calls them out in the next verse. It says, He knew in Himself that they were complaining and He asked, Does this offend you? And then He says, They're really going to be offended when He ascends into heaven. That's really going to offend them. See, it wasn't that the message was actually difficult to understand. I think they knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. They knew He wasn't literally talking about cannibalism. But, They were looking for an excuse not to believe, not to follow, because this message was hard. This message was hard, and it was offensive to them. So Jesus explains His his message further in verse 66. That is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. This is what the crowd was offended by. The flesh profits nothing. Nothing. See, they liked living in their world where they felt they could do something to earn God's favor and then just come to Him for, for physical blessings. God was there for their physical blessings. That's an easier message than the one that says, guess what, there's nothing good in you. The flesh profits nothing. You are sinful. All of your righteousness is like filthy rags. You contribute nothing to this salvation. They didn't like the message that, that Christ was not here to bring Israel back to a place of physical blessing on earth, but rather to a place of spiritual healing and spiritual life. They wanted a king who would reign over them, not a savior who is going to be killed. And like the fact that Jesus wasn't going to give them what they wanted. They wanted a meal, physical earthly blessing but he had so much greater desires for them that they missed so they weren't interested in that. and you know I wonder how many times this is us even even as Christians certainly as non-Christians but 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 as Christians even how many times do we just want God to give us some physical blessings okay and we've talked a lot about this lately but but how, how many times do we just, we, we just want God to fix things physically? Just please, just provide that job, God. Provide the spouse that I've been looking for. Uh, change the spouse that I have. You know, uh, so, give me some money, Lord. Physical healing. Can I, can I just see my life turn around in something that I can feel? You know? We think that we know what we need. But God wants to give us so much more than what we think. And we make the same mistake that they did here. We reject the words of God because it's too hard to hear that God's number one goal for me is not my physical blessing. 
God's number one goal for me is not my physical comfort. His number one goal for me is not that I get the dream job or the dream girl or the dream house or whatever it is that you're looking for. That's not God's number one goal for us and that's hard to hear because we want those things. Who doesn't want to be physically blessed? God says, you know, I've got something so much better for you than physical blessings. I know you don't understand that because you're tangible, you're, you're finite, you're a finite human being. But if you'll just trust me, I've got something so much better than the physical little gifts that you think I should give you. Remember at other times, Jesus said things like this, count the cost before you come to me. He said that following him was uncomfortable because he didn't really have a place to lay his head. That's what he told his followers. He said that if they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's what he told his disciples. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, and this is really tough. He says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth. He, he came to bring peace between God and man. There's a big difference. Big difference. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Boy, that's hard to take. He goes on, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me, follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who loses this idea of, of just, I need physical blessing all the time. That is where you're really going to find life. Those are hard words to take from Jesus, are they not? I came to bring a sword. I came to divide families because some of you are going to accept me and some of you are going to reject me. And that's going to cause division. Now, Jesus is not talking about physically warring with each other, fighting with family members. But He's saying, if you come to Me, some of your own family may hate you for it. We'll see in chapter 7 that Jesus' own brothers rejected Him, at least during His earthly ministry. They later came to Him. His own brothers rejected Him. His own hometown rejected Him. The Jewish people rejected Him. See, the bread of life is so satisfying and sustaining and eternal, but it's hard to eat. It's hard to take some of the things that Jesus says. It divides those who will not humble themselves and receive this gift because they want to do what they want to do. And those who will humble themselves, truly forsaking everything else 
in order to follow Him. It's simple to come to Christ. It's a free gift that He has fully paid for, but it's not easy to receive it. And, you know, I'm afraid that that our country may be on the verge of of really seeing this divide quite clearly. Right now, it's kind of all just meshed together, right? You can be a Christian and be pretty much whatever you want. I think there's coming a time in our country, um, and we may be getting there quickly, where the divide's going to be clear. Those who have humbled themselves and truly are following after Christ, and those who aren't, and we're just playing a game. Just wanted Jesus for His gifts. Because to the world, those of us who truly love Christ and who follow His Word, guess what you are? You're a bigot. And you spew hatred. And you're exclusive. And you are the problem that needs to be eliminated. That's what the world thinks of us. Just as they thought Jesus was the problem, even though He held out to them the only life there was, the only life there is. But they thought, now He is the problem. We've got to get rid of Him. We may be on the verge in this country of truly seeing how divisive this bread of life really is. And I want to ask you, are you going to be ready to stand? Because it may get difficult to stand. Are we going to be a church who's who's ready to stand? Are we going to be ready to follow Him even though persecution is hard? And we've never really dealt with it in this country. It's, It's a little unprecedented in this country. It's not unprecedented, but it's unprecedented for us maybe. Are we going to be ready to truly take up our crosses knowing that it could cost us big time? As a church, as individuals? Or are we going to decide that following Jesus is just too hard? Who can take it? It's just too much, Jesus. If I can't have my physical blessings, I'm not interested. Now, I pray that's not us. Will we be so convicted that this message of the gospel is the only hope the world has? that we will proclaim it at any cost. Verse 66 says that from from this time, many of Jesus' disciples went back and walked with Him no more. And sometime later, many of these same so-called followers that Jesus fed that day before, many of these same people, I'm sure, were in that crowd in Jerusalem shouting, Crucify Him! They were shouting blasphemy while the only hope that they had, the bread from heaven, God Himself was beaten and scorned and hung on a cross. We as the church, I don't know why we would think that we're going to receive anything different from the world. It's coming. There's going to be a time when it's hard to stand. Are we going to be ready? The bread of life is separating. It's, it's divisive. If you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus said if they hated Him, they're going to hate us. 
Because they're the world. They don't know any better. They don't have Jesus. They've rejected the only life there is. They don't have the words of life. They don't understand. They know not what they do as Jesus put it on the cross. They don't know. But it's going to get hard. If they hated Him, they will hate us. And finally, I want us to see that this bread of life is is sanctifying. Let's read verses 67 through 71. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love that answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. It appears that after verse 66, all that's left with Jesus are the twelve disciples. That's what it looks like here at least. Out of 5,000 men plus women and children at the beginning of this chapter, there's 12 left. Well, Jesus didn't have a very seeker-sensitive ministry, did He? (laughs) He doesn't seem to care too much. You come His way or you do not come. Of course He cares. He wants you to be saved. But if you don't come, it's on you. It's a free gift. He's done everything. My goodness. He's done everything to enable you to come. It's down to 12 now. And really 11 if we're being honest, right? As Jesus alludes to in these verses, it was Judas was also there who would obviously later betray Him. And so Jesus looks at these disciples and He says, Are you going to leave too? Everybody else is gone. And the Greek here, it's written in such a way that expects a negative answer. Like, you're going to leave too, aren't you? You're going to leave too now, aren't you? And, you know, for all the grief that that Peter gets for his unbelief at times and his his rash statements and his denial of Jesus, um, he gets it so right on this one, I think. Peter says... Where else are we going to go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, Peter gets it. It's not about this earth. It's about the next life. It's not about this life. It's about the next life. You alone are the only one that can give us a real answer to any real problem that we have. And then he gives this great profession. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter and, and the other ten, you know, not in ca- counting Judas there, they heard the words Jesus spoke and, and they received them as truth. They humbled themselves. They received them as truth. And, and God's word did its work in their hearts. The word of God received with a humble heart is transformative. 
The Word of God received with a humble heart is transformative. It renews us, restores us, encourages us, challenges us, convicts us, teaches us truth. That's the key. It teaches us truth. And it's the only sure thing that we can hold on to in a world that is constantly changing its standards. There's a new standard every day on the news. You cannot trust that. If you're living by the ways of the world, you're on sinking sand, people. Constantly changing its standards. But God's Word never changes and always brings life. It always brings life. We've talked a lot about humbling yourself and, and receiving God's Word as truth for the, for the unbeliever. But, but for believers, it is essential that, that you're letting Christ speak into your life daily. Are you doing that? I know I talk about this every week, but are you doing it? Of course, I say this every week because every week there are people in the crowd who still haven't heeded those words. There are still those who would, who would be deceived into thinking that what you really need is something other than the Word being spoken into your life daily. And if you're buying that lie, you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the words of life. As a Christian, the most important thing in your life is being conformed to the image of Christ, period. That's the most vital thing. It may not be the most important thing to you, but it's the most vital thing for you. To be conformed to the image of Christ. If you're truly following Christ, that should be your desire this morning. But that is only possible by letting His words invade you. His words of life, let them invade you, convict you, and change you. Because your mind needs to be changed. Your mind tends to wonder and tends to want to be conformed by the world and the world's ways because Satan is deceitful and he's very good at deceiving. Our mind wants to go that way, but the Word is drawing us to another way, a way of life. We must allow the words to invade us, convict us, change us, now, so, now, as we said earlier, some of those words are really tough to hear, right? If you're a really angry person, you really don't want to hear things about you don't need to be so angry because you have the Spirit of God living in you. And you're not submitting to the Spirit if you're angry. That's offensive, right? If you're not a gentle person and you're reading that, oh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. You need to hear that. But it's hard to hear. You need to allow the words of life to change you. And realize that you're wrong. And what feels right is so often so wrong. And it is so anti 
Christ. We desperately need the words of life. And where else are we going to get them but Jesus and His written word? Of course, for them, they walked with Jesus. They had His spoken word at that time. For us, we have the written word. The world, they can bring you some temporary happiness. Some fulfilled desire for a season. But the world knows nothing of true life. Knows nothing of eternal life. The world has no answers for that. You know, what happens after this life? The world has no answers for that. And what could be a more important question than what happens after this life? Jesus here speaks of eating and drinking of His flesh like it's a continual action. Right? He says in verse 56 that, that He who eats His flesh and drinks His blood abides in Him and Christ in Him. This metaphor of bread, I think it, re- it reminds us that although at the moment we first partake of Christ, our eternity is sealed. Right, We are secured. But in order to live the Christian life, guys, we need to be partaking of Him daily. There's nothing more sensual for us. We live in a time where there's deception at every turn. There are so many empty promises that the world is constantly throwing at us. And we need an anchor for our souls. This bread of life is that anchor, that sanctifying anchor that will change us. This anchor that will hold us steady when things are going crazy like they have been this week, right? You watch the news, things are going nuts! Yet we're not shaken as believers. Because it's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. The world is going to go more nuts and more nuts. But boy, if you're not being held steady by that anchor of the Word of God, you might be a little scared right now. You might be a little frightened about what's to come. Because it's scary out there. Without God's Word reminding us of who He is and His power. Now I'm reminded of Paul's charge to Timothy. As Paul was nearing the end of his life, he wrote 2 Timothy uh, to Timothy. Uh, his, his son in the faith, he calls him. But he says this in, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verses 2-4. through 4. And this is a this is a mainstay for us here. We we read this 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 uh, ver- these verses a lot. But he says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Boy, our world today certainly seems to fit this description pretty well. Paul says the remedy is to preach the Word. Preach the Word. And I say to you this morning, the remedy remedy for you is to be transformed by the Word, read the Word, study the Word, allow the Word to transform you. Humble yourself under the Word. We're in this time of great deception 
And now more than ever, it's so important that the church is clinging to the words of life from the bread of life. See, we don't, we don't have to make sure that, that we know all the latest conspiracies and, and the real facts behind what we're being shown all the time in the media or, or whatever. We don't, we don't have to be concerned with trying to get to the bottom of it all. Our job is to be consumed with the bread of life and let His Word transform us and prepare us for what's coming. We need our eyes squarely on Jesus. We don't have to be concerned with all that other stuff. We've seen now that Jesus, as the bread of life, He's superior, secure, selective, separating, and sanctifying. He does for us what only God could do, right? Because He is God Himself. And, and, and as we close this morning, I want to invite you once again to partake of this bread of life. If you don't know Him, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Um, and if you don't know Him this morning, if you have not truly partaken of this bread of life, boy, today's a good day. If the Spirit is convicting you this morning, please don't ignore that. If He's saying you need to come this morning, this is truth, and you need to come, then come. But you don't do it your way, you do it His way, and that's by humility. I am nothing, and I need your forgiveness, Lord. It's by repentance of your sin and faith in the one who's paid for that sin. Repentance and faith. So if that's you this morning, and you need to come, He has provided salvation completely as a free gift to all that will come. Will you receive that this morning? There's no magic words to be said. You just tell God that you're sorry for your sin that has separated you from Him. And that you want to receive His free gift through Jesus Christ. And you want to submit your life today to Him. There's no magic in the words. It's really in the humility of the heart. Okay, because you can believe all this stuff and still not be a Christian if you haven't humbled yourself to receive it. If you have not partaken of the bread of life. And for those of us who know Him today, you know, I think I ask this every week, but are you dwelling in Him today? Are you clinging to Him today? Are, are you allowing His Word to be the thing that informs your opinions, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your every move? Are you allowing His Word, His words of life? Guess what? You don't speak words of life. And I don't either. But He does. That's why His Word is so important for us. Lord, help us understand that this morning. And every day from here on out. Let that be our prayer as a church this morning. Let me give you a few moments uh, just to spend time with the Lord, whatever you need to do this morning. If you need to come, then please come. And when you've given your life to Christ, please let us know so we can celebrate with you. There's no shame in it. Don't be ashamed of coming 
to Christ this morning is the greatest decision you will ever make. So please come. I'll give you a few moments and then I'll um, close this in prayer. And I think Stephen will come and do some announcements. Father, we thank you so much that you hold out salvation to us freely as a free gift that you have completely earned for us, Lord. You've completely done it for us. God, and you draw us through yourself, through your spirit, through the gospel. Lord, I pray if there's one that needs to come this morning, you'd help them to come, Father. Convict, Lord. Bring them to salvation today. Transform them. Lord, those of us that are Christians, Lord, I pray that we would cling to your words of life. Peter said it so great. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us even more of a vigor for it this week. As we go, Lord, that you would give us a boldness, Father, that you would help us to stand amidst a, a crooked and perverse generation that we live in, Lord. One that that just does store up teachers for themselves to hear what they want to hear. Lord, help us to be help us to be the rock, Lord. Help us to be a solid foundation. Lord, a message that doesn't change, Lord, of the gospel. Help us to be a church that will stand, Father, stand firm together. We're so unified in our message and in our mission, Lord, to see all the world come to Christ, Lord. God, give us boldness this week, Father. Embolden us, Lord. Please, Lord. Give us everything we need. We know that you will, Lord. Give us everything that we need to go and have that next conversation about you this week, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.